Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yeah, Lynn Cullen, who went to bed too late and woke up way too early. <laughs> I can't stop yawning. Hello, how are you? I'm trying to wake up. It's uh, May 3rd. And uh, this is the last day I'll be spending with you for a week, taking next week off, going on a little bit of a road trip with a friend and my dog, and uh, looking forward to just slowing down and getting getting away. Um, on the way in, I was listening to some news, and I heard a word that's I'm hearing a lot lately. I'm hearing it from the hearings, congressional hearings. I'm hearing it from witnesses and questioners, and I'm, I'm seeing it in print. And it's a word that I, as I'm hearing it, I don't necessarily quite understand what they're, how they're using it. And I thought I would throw it out here to you, see if anybody else is having the same uh, kind of disconnect from what I always thought of as the word. Uh, okay, the word is predicate. Um, and my sense of predicate or predicate, right, um, it's one of those words that can be a noun, it can be a verb, it can be a this, it can be that. It's clearly something that lawyers like to say because I think most of the people I'm hearing it uh, from are lawyers. And what is that predicated upon? And was the predicate? I mean, they go from noun to verb to verb to noun. And I'm, what, 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 what? My, my first sense of predicate is, you know, from early grammar lessons in elementary school. Every sentence has a subject and a predicate, right? That's what I knew. So a predicate to me means a verb or an action. Yeah, something that's describing an action. But I'm hearing it in such strange ways that I can't quite, it doesn't, it, it sounds dissonant to me. And then, of course, predicating something, well, they, that was predicated on the idea that blah, 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 means, it would mean uh, based on, right, predicate. But I, it just seems like neither of those really are working in the way I'm here, the context I'm hearing it. Anyway, it's just a little thing that's driving me a little crazy. That's all, you know, little things. Predicate, predicate, predicate. You know, like you don't hear a word for a million years, and all of a sudden, every five seconds, you hear it. The other word that drives me totally insane, and I'm sure I've said this before because this has been driving me crazy for years is uh, curate um, I that was a word you never heard and when you did hear it it was well something it was about an art exhibit right the exhibit was curated by you know meaning somebody chose the pieces in it <laughs> so my sense of curate is choose uh, like an expert choosing. And now you can't get through 24 hours if you're tuned into any source without somebody. And it's usually advertisers are in love with this word now. So 
everything is now curated. Um, I, it's lost all meaning. I, or I can't, and then you start to think of what was the word we used to use before everyone started using curate? I think it was chosen. And we've chosen these, these lovely accoutrements. We've curated. It drives me nuts. Anyway. Okay. Uh, who's the first person who can use the words predicate and curate in the same sentence? Huh? Bring it at me. Come on. Come on. Predicate and curate in the same sentence. <laughs> I am hoping not to talk much at all today about you-know-who and you-know-what and all that stuff, even if it's my last shot for a week, because you know what? As I said, we damn well better pace ourselves, because... <laughs> This is going to be an unbearably long slog. I was just reading about uh, Congress's subpoena powers. <laughs> That's what I want to say. I think the uh, upshot of all this stuff I was reading uh, could have been stated simply as, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Congress has subpoena powers, and guess what? The executive branch can pretty much thumb their nose. They have no enforcement power. Well, at least they haven't for almost 100 years. It hasn't been used. They don't have a jail. So the fact is, is this subpoenaing stuff and the White House and the Justice Department and the Treasury Department and all the other departments refusing to cooperate with the legislative branch's uh, attempt to uh, perform their constitutional duties. Um, and it's quite clear that stonewalling on the part of the executive branch is a uh, successful uh, maneuver. Uh, it can, first of all, delay things for even years, throwing things into the courts. Um, You know, you thought you had this system of checks and balances, and it turns out the executive branch has really glommed on to uh, a lot of power um, in the last century, I think. And we think that's dandy if, uh, you know, one of our guys is in the White House. And we see the definite downside when one of our guys is not. So I don't know what to say, but the subpoena and holding bar and contempt and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> that's what I want to say. It won't move, the, won't move anything forward, nothing. Um, Nancy Pelosi can call him a crook. It doesn't matter. He still isn't going to cooperate. 
and he's not going to go to jail. And yes, they may hold him in contempt, and he doesn't care because the contempt goes both ways. <laughs> you know, uh, when the Attorney General was Eric Holder in the Obama administration, Holder was found in contempt as Attorney General by a Republican Congress. And do you remember him going to jail or anything? Do you even remember he was held in contempt? Not particularly. Did it ruin his uh, reputation? Nah, it's just another line in his bio. Ah, uh, so. Yeah. Predicated on what I was reading about the diminishing powers of the Congress, uh, I don't have a lot of a lot of hope here. Um, I think the people who keep saying, "Look, going to have to wait till the election," are in fact right. Oh wait, Milton took a shot at the predicate and curate. A bit. Okay, here's his sentence. Well, you thought you were writing predicated, but you wrote predicted. Or maybe the, you know, who, okay, here, I'll see it as pre predicated. Predicated on the knowledge that this president, <coughs> yeah, predicated on the, <coughs> predicated on the knowledge that this presidential maneuvering is going to be a long slog, I've curated a collection of films to watch on a rainy weekend so I don't have to tune into MSNBC. Yes, that's a very good sentence, Milton, and one I myself could say. Uh, right, so there it is, predicated on, uh, yeah, what I was saying, that, that this is going to be a long slog. Uh, I think it would be wise for all of us to curate some uh, movies books, anything to uh, to take our minds off things um, and to not, you know, obsess constantly over this, um, you know, the diminishment of our, of our nation. Uh, thanks, Milton. I always want to call you Milt, but I'm not sure I'm supposed to. People call you Milt. You know, there are people who really do not like people abbreviating their names. And a lot of people do abbreviate people's names before, you know, they're introduced to somebody as Richard and they say, hey, Dick, nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, sorry. First of all, he might like to be called Richard. He even might be called Rich uh, or Rick. So who's the Dick is what I want to say when you just immediately decide to create the nickname yourself. We have a caller, apparently. Uh, go ahead, please. Hello? Okay, it's okay with me. Anyway, um, I wanna, the, the, the subject I wanna bring up is not, well, it, everything's political, huh? <laughs> But it's a story that uh, I think broke yesterday, 
and I didn't get around to it yesterday, and I'm glad because uh, since then I've done more thinking about it, and oh man, you talk about a subject that's hard to get your head around, and uh, that is truly complicated. It has to do with gender, and it has to do with the fact that the... Um, the highest court, and I, I don't even, the caller's there again. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Hello. 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 Okay, no work. You're not hearing me. Anyway, back to my program. So it has to do with the fact that the highest international court that governs uh, sports, and I didn't even know this of this hierarchy, but there is a, a court, um, and it oversees uh, major competitions, the Olympics, and a lot of other stuff, and uh, it handed down a ruling uh, that was a long time coming three-judge panel, the ruling was two to one, and uh, the, the precipitating, uh, there wasn't a precipitating event so much as the precipitating person that this case was about was not somebody who was cheating, was not somebody who was doping, was not somebody who had, an athlete who had done anything wrong, uh, the athlete is a South African uh, runner named Castor Semenya, and she uh, has won two uh, Olympic medals, golds, in the 800 meters. And um, she identifies as a woman, but she has high levels of t naturally occurring she ain't doping. She has high levels of testosterone, naturally occurring testosterone. Now, we all have different testosterone. Yes, women have testosterone. Uh, the normal levels of testosterone in women um, it, it is in a certain range. Uh, men's normal is like up here, obviously more of it. But there are um, <coughs> people who don't quite fit so comfortably. <coughs> and she is one. Uh, these people are sometimes called intersex people. Castor identifies as a woman. And she runs against women. And she often beats women. <coughs> and the court had to decide whether her increased testosterone gives her an unfair advantage over other women. And they decided, the court did, that in fact it did. And so they said 
that if she wants to compete and continue to compete against women, she has to take a drug that will suppress her naturally occurring testosterone. And it will have to be depressed to a certain level for a good six months before any race she runs or she can't run against other women. And the court said that, yes, this is discriminatory against her and others maybe like her, but it is a, here's a quote, necessary, reasonable, and proportionate means of achieving track and field's goal of preserving the integrity of female competition. Um, the arguments go something like this. Look, that little additional, not even little, she's got quite a bit more testosterone. That, those elevated naturally occurring testosterone levels that this woman has gives her an unfair advantage because testosterone uh, builds muscle and and strength and oxygen carrying capacity. So they're saying she just physically, because of this testosterone, is going to have a an unfair advantage over women who do not have such elevated uh, testosterone levels. Um, Her lawyers said this. I mean, I, I, this is such, to me, such a, you talk about a human rights issue. This is a human rights issue. Granted, it doesn't impact uh, the majority of people. You know, as is often the case, it's a minority of people, and in this case, probably a pretty small minority. But for her, who is a woman who happens to have higher levels of testosterone, this is telling her that she has to literally suppress a naturally occurring hormone in her body. And who knows what the consequences to her body of, you know, taking pills to suppress her testosterone. What else does that do? It'll throw her body way out of whack. Um, her lawyer said that Castor Semenya's unique genetic gift should be celebrated, not regulated. But on the other side, they say, look, we're talking about races that can be one based on one one-hundredth of a second. That's how close this stuff is. And women like her will overwhelm women with normal, I was going to just say normal women, women with 
normal uh, testosterone levels. Um, there's a lot of people coming uh, down on both sides of this. It turns out that um, in the Olympics held in Rio in 2016, uh, Castro Semenya won the 800 meters. Uh, the woman who came in second, a woman from Burundi, also, it turns out, has naturally elevated testosterone levels. The World Medical Association has called on doctors not to implement this rule they say it is, well, they say we have strong reservations about, about its ethical validity. But here's the thing. Every runner in a race comes with a unique set of skills, talents, experience, any of which can give them an edge or hinder them. I'm thinking about what gives a uh, athlete an edge, maybe the fact that they've had really years of really good nutrition or let's say had access to the most extraordinary coaching um, or training facilities. Do we tell athletes from poorer nations that don't have access to all the bells and whistles that athletes from developed nations have that they are obviously being discriminated against? Do we tell athletes from uh, rich nations that they'll have to not have their nice coaching and their facility. Do you know what, I, what I'm saying here is, for some reason, it's this one thing that provides a difference that has gotten the attention. And I read <coughs> today something that really blew me away about this and put me more in her <coughs> on her side which I was I mean I see both sides but I was thinking when I read about this yesterday about Michael Phelps do you remember every time they would talk about Phelps they would talk about how he's sort of a freak <laughs> how his his arms are just like ridiculously long. His wingspan, I guess they say. He also has, maybe you didn't know, he has ankle bones that are, he's double jointed in his ankles, which means that his kick 
is different and more effective. So what do we, uh, you know, and also here's something chemical that happens in his body. He has been tested a lot and his body for some reason produces half the lactic acid of a typical athlete. And since lactic acid is not something you want if you're running a race because it causes fatigue and he doesn't produce as much as the normal person does, should he have to like take pills that make him have more lactic acid? Because otherwise he has this biological, he has a number of biological advantages. And just to throw this at you, so... Michael Phelps is looked at as a wondrous marvel. Nobody suggested that he have surgery to, you know, to lock up his double-jointed ankles or take medication to boost his lactic levels. But Semenya? Her naturally occurring differences which, yes, give her an advantage, just like Phelps has, has created court cases and now this ruling. We've got a number of calls. Let's see if we can do this. I don't know if something's going on or not. Hello, caller. Hey, hey Lynn, it's Mike in D.C. Hi, Mike. Yeah, you, were ju you just made my point that, um, say she was six foot seven and her legs were five feet tall, taller than some of the other runners. Yeah. Would she then have to start later or could she not run because of her advantage to her, um, yeah. her DNA just made her taller. Right. Like this is the luck of the draw and she got a good cards and now you're telling her she can't play them. Exactly. Hey, stop and think of all the, um, stop and think of all the kids who were great basketball players in, uh, you know, in middle school and just needed that growth spurt and it never came, right? Well, you know, sports have these, sports cruelly weeds people out because certain physical characteristics are, right, uh, valued in these sports, give an advantage. Tall is an advantage in basketball. You know, muscle strength. I, I don't, yeah, yeah. And yet. It's the, sa it, it's the same in dance. If you right. have the body, right. then you get further along. Right. It's how just about the gymnast? luck of the draw. How about gymnasts? Yeah. You gymnast. get too big. Yeah. You get too tall. Have you ever or, seen a six-foot gymnast? No. Or ice skaters. They're really good at 13 and they hit a growth spurt and they can no longer do it. It's just the luck of the draw, and this has to be transphobia. And I bet that they're worried that men, in quotation marks, are going to take over their sport, and it's not going to be fair to women. Well, they're worried whole... that right, real women will not be able to compete with these, well, uh, creatures that aren't quite women, I guess. Um, right. And, and um, <clears throat> Or as one person put it, uh, Phelps is treated like a marvel, 
and Castor Semenya is treated like a mutant. Right. She's a freak. She's a freak. Yeah, and because of her genetic makeup, her DNA gave her probably the only place in the world where having more testosterone running through your system than the average female (laughs) is going to come in handy. They're telling her now, (laughs) oh, psych, no, not at all. (laughs) Does she have any recourse? Does the article say she has any recourse? Uh, She can appeal to some court in, I forget what country, but um, the Supreme Court in Switzerland, but only on very narrow ground. So, no, she's... uh, I don't know what the what she's going to do. It's sad for her. It's really sad. And I guess I the, heard that, the person who good. finished second to her in Rio would also then have to do this. I Who knows how many uh, uh, women uh, international athletes have higher testosterone levels. I bet maybe quite a few do. So science is going to determine what a real woman is and you must have this amount of estrogen and this amount of testosterone in order to be able to be a real woman in sports. Is that it? I guess. Do I have that right? I guess. I just, you know, I don't know. And I'm sure it's because of people going through um, transitioning from male to female. I have no doubt that's what it's about. Yeah. And they're trying to set up a pr- parameter so that if a guy, in you know, a, a man born, a person born as a, a boy, transitions to a girl, and then she runs, but she still has more test- testosterone, right. then it's not fair. I'm sure that's the argument they're trying to fight, but they didn't take a very good case to fight that argument. Um, I'm. Uh, it seems to me I read something here about um, how there. It says transgender. Okay, the ruling, this ruling, uh, is being watched closely by transgender athletes and officials of the International Olympic Committee as they prepare to set guidelines for participants Mm -hmm. in the 2020 Olympics. Transgender, well, it says here, transgender athletes are no longer required to undergo reassignment surgery to participate in the Olympics. Those transitioning from female to male can compete without restriction. (laughs) Of course not, because it doesn't give you an advantage. (laughs) Right? If a woman is competing with men, you know, just to use the the binary term, it doesn't give you an advantage. Of course they can. (laughs) Um, Oh, and wait, it goes on. Um, Athletes transitioning from male to female must declare that their gender identity is female and cannot rescind that declaration for a minimum of four years. The athletes must also suppress their testosterone levels Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for a year before becoming eligible for the Olympics. Wow. Well, and you know, it's not like Russians have cheated with the whole <laughs> doping oh, game yeah, no, before. Oh yeah, no, that never happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that. It's never not happened. like it's clear. Any of that is clear cut. 
when you see a Russian gymnast come out who looks like, you know, a 20 year old boy, uh, I understand that there's, they have a struggle here, but again, I think this is the wrong yeah. case. This poor I, woman, yeah, I it, so you know, wow, poor thing. So unfair. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Okay. Okay. Bye. Talk to you later. Thank Bye. you. Bye. And uh, Roger writes, um, men have significantly different levels of testosterone. That's just the way it is. One of many things that separate average athletes from the top tier. Rules shouldn't be altered for women. It's just the way it is. Should Michael Jordan have played from his knees with one arm tied behind his back? Along with his work ethic, genetically speaking, he is a freak of nature too. Let her play. Leave her body alone. Oh, oh we got more callers. Okay, uh, next. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, this is Kurt from Swissvale. Hi, Kurt. Hey, uh, this story has me thinking I have to reread the story Harrison Bergeron. It was a Kurt Vonnegut short story huh. from the 60s. And it's a dystopian future kind of thing. In this case, Big Brother took the form of the Handicapper General, because at some point, it was something like the 236th Amendment to the Constitution, <laughs> the courts had decided that all men are created equal, and if they're not, we have to disadvantage them so that no one feels inferior. There you go. And it became... And, and there, was a, there was a handicapper general in charge of making sure that no one made you feel inferior. You know what? That doesn't even sound far-fetched to us anymore. No, well, especially with this thing going yeah. on. I mean, yeah, yeah, they would put headphones on smart people and put you know, sacks of sand on people who were agile. And if you were too good-looking, you had to wear a mask. And the whole, <laughs> uh, the whole thing came through. And Harrison Bergeron was a rebel against that. And, of course... What? He went on national TV with a ballerina, and they shot him. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to read that. Yeah, one. so that was, that was what was making spoiled. me think of. It's like, oh, here we go, handicapper <laughs> generals right around the corner. That's it. God. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Thank, thank you for that. <laughs> All right. All right. Care. Bye. Oh wow. <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. Hey, caller, are you there? Another, we got somebody else here? Hello? Hello, hello? Okay, it's okay. Um, <sighs> Milton has written back that I can call him whatever I damn well please. <laughs> he said... He said, you can call me melatonin if you want. No, I'm not going to. Okay, Milt. Well, I don't know. Do your friends call you Milt? I feel like you're a friend. Um, okay, so, well, that... God. What a crazy world. Bill writes, I recently read that between one in... 1,500 to 2,000 babies are born intersex. Yeah, it is not that. You know, that's that's pretty, that means there's a ton of people. Uh, one in 1,000, one in 2,000, that's a ton. 
ton of humanity that doesn't fit neatly into, oh, I'm sorry, you're a girl. You're supposed to have only this level of that hormone. Only this level of that hormone. <coughs> you know, uh, Phelps, <coughs> maybe the greatest swimmer ever, was in part the greatest swimmer ever because of his biological anomalies. I'm betting his ankle bones and his, his like unbelievable, I mean, are there swimmers that have like webbed feet? <laughs> I'm serious. Are they supposed to then have certain, because people do, there are people that have webbed feet, um, just saying. Yeah, so intersex. Boy, 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 boy. Or girl, 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 girl. It's, I don't know. We all are pretty dang confused these days, aren't we? We're going to try this caller again. Caller, go ahead, please. Hey, Lynn, good morning. Hi. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. All right. So if I understand the story correctly, uh, the uh, uh, this, the uh, female athlete Sen Senmen, I'm, I'm my apologies Senmenya, am I pronouncing it right? I don't correctly? I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right myself. Right. I don't know. But there's there's no suspicion. The IFEB is, does not suspect that she has been using uh, performance enhancing drugs of any sort. No, no, they no. She's coming actually, as God made her, and that's what she says. This is how God created me. What am I supposed to do? So, I, I'm given that I'm simply absolutely floored by this the, their ruling, which I think borders on the grotesque that she that she has to take, you know, undergo some ex exogenous, uh, you know, drug therapy to actually, you know, lower her body's natural production of of testosterone. I mean, that's absurd that she has to negate her, a particular genetic advantage she has in order to compete. Um, I, I don't, I don't think there's, I'm glad this ruling is getting publicized because I think it's going to force the committee to reverse themselves. I don't know um, about that. I don't know. So here's another quote from some uh, professor whose, whose area this is. And she says, in sports, distinguishing people on the basis of their biology actually matters a lot. It matters because if we fail to do it, we will lose the capacity to isolate the best females on the planet. We would never see a female body on the podium. Well, I, I would agree that, in, you know, you're, I would agree that um, tr male to female, um, and, and, and this is a sensitive subject, and it's not without nuance. Uh, I would agree no, right. that it's tough. You know, male to female athletes, at least you know those who went through a male puberty, um, and have you know. A, a, you know, a, an adulthood of 
male testosterone production, which also affects the bone density, for example, and the, yeah, it the number of fast twitch muscle right. fibers. Right. It, it likely, you know, while, they've, while of course they should be respected as, I think you should be accepted as female in terms of their gender identity and obviously should, should be afforded, you know, equal rights to everyone else. I, I, I do see the justification in prohibiting them from competing against you know, uh, those born biologically female, cis females, because even in terms of, I can compare it to a situation with male athletes. Studies have shown repeatedly that, you know, male athletes who take certain performance enhancing drugs, such as anabolic steroids, even years after they stop, they have higher bone density. They have more what are called androgen receptors, which means that um, essentially sites on their, on their muscle cells that uh, testosterone can bind to, which means they can rebuild muscle more quickly. They have, on average, um, uh, better reflexes because, again, it affects the, the um, type of muscle fibers they have. So it likely is unfair for uh, a male athlete who went through a, you know, a puberty um, and then transitioned to female to compete against those born biologically female. But in this case, we're, we're simply talking about a woman with, you know, unusually high yeah. testosterone production and, and all that until, I mean, what, how would that be different as, as you stated? What, so, you know, do all runners have to be the same height? I imagine long-legged runners well, yeah, it's, have an this advantage is, exactly. over short-legged so runners. So what this does um, is it's, a, it's, the, yeah. it's the, uh, the slippery slope, right? Because yeah. every runner, you know, in the block before they take off comes with different, different experience, different biology, different... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and it yeah, is... Yeah, I mean, if, that, is, if, that's, the, if that's the case... I mean, what are we going to ban? I mean, Kenyans dominate in marathons for a reason, because yeah. both of the, their genetic heritage and also because they grow up training under high altitude, low oxygen conditions. Right. Well, should should they be banned? They have yes. genetic advantages. They have environmental advantages. Mm-hmm. It, it's absurd. I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm glad we all agree on this one. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Have, <laughs> have a good day. Yeah, you too. Hey, that poor woman. You know, when she first showed up in international competition and won, all hell broke loose because people started saying, that's not even a woman. That's not a woman. And she was subjected to what were called sex tests. Uh, The South African government went berserk. I feel for her. I really feel for her. Okay, I want to move on uh, to uh, a few other quickies before I'm going to shut up for a week. I'm going to shut up for a week. I can't wait. Oh, I love that Kurt Vonnegut story thing. There it is. I mean, there it is. That's where we're heading.
you know how I freak out about, you know, artificial intelligence and all this, uh, the surveillance state we're living in now. I, you know, I realize now when I go to a, you know, like a automatic teller machine, getting some money out, I know I'm on camera. I, I you know, like I sometimes wave. I, I actually feel self-conscious. I know I'm being looked at. I uh, was walking my dog yesterday, and I walked by a house that said, this house is a, what was the name of the thing? It's, a, it, it's one of those houses that has the, uh, it's not a ring doorbell, it's another one. And it means that you're surveilled, actually, because they have cameras. You, you are surveilled, the recording, all the time. And I realized as I walked by with my dog that if for some reason somebody needed, you know, if I needed an alibi or something, I might have, yeah, uh, well, I'll see. I was walking my dog on Elysian Street, um, and so now all these houses, every few houses, there's there's a camera on houses, there's a camera on all businesses, there's cameras on on uh, intersections, there's GPSs on our cars, there's... <sighs> so, in the hands of a government that really wants to keep track of you, and this is what we're seeing in, in China, um, you will be monitored. Your movements, Every single day, someone, if they're intending to or interested, will be able to build a picture of your day. Now, the people who always used to say, well, I don't care. The only people I have to worry about that are people who are like criminals. I'm not doing anything wrong. So you don't have a problem with uh, this data collection of every move you make? I do. I really do. Anyway, it's over. We're it's it's over. There's no no turning back. Uh, you are on candid camera literally every minute of your life. And for those of you who have happily uh, uh, welcomed Siri and Alexa and all the others into your homes, um, they're watching you too. This is watching me capable of watching me, right? Um, this is nuts. Anyway, there was an article, page two, Wall Street Journal the other day. I want to share a little of it. Here's the first sentence. It's time to stop worrying that robots will take your job and start worrying that they will decide who gets the job. So that is already happening, as it turns out. Weren't we talking to Mike in D.C. the other day? And he said that, you know, when you're looking for jobs now, you're just, you're dealing not with a, a human being across a table or even on a telephone. You are, turns out you're going to be dealing, most people, especially lower paying jobs, you're going to be dealing with a computer with a robot with artificial intelligence and when you get the job you will be 
followed your work constantly observed and tallied um, if you god forbid work in an amazon fulfillment center that would be a warehouse if you're one of the people who's running around in these huge warehouses trying to collect things that you know john doe in poughkeepsie has ordered um you are monitored every inch of the way you are literally amazon system tracks each individual in its employ every bit of its every person's productivity um this is all governed by software and algorithms yeah you work for Amazon you're going to be tracked your productivity how much you should be doing in a certain length of time all of that is noted throughout your workday if you start falling short alarms go off red flags uh, pop up and employees are fired when they underperform and all of that can literally happen without any human being getting involved so the artificial intelligence is monitoring I'm not sure if these people are having to wear something that is being monitored or if it's just the system of you know cameras able to log it I don't know but um, the robot supervisor actually uh, rates tracks and rates every worker and uh, catalogs their productivity generates warnings if they're not keeping up and terminates an employee without input from a human supervisor guy writing in the Wall Street Journal says perhaps it was only a matter of time before software was used to fire people after all it already screens resumes recommends job applicants schedules shifts and assigns projects and in the workplace sophisticated technology to track worker productivity on a minute by minute basis no or even a second by second basis is already incredibly pervasive it's not like this is some idea that might be coming down the pike it's here the guy who says it's already pervasive is a business professor at UCLA um, says here uh, laundry services industrial laundry services track how many seconds a worker takes to press a laundered shirt onboard computers track truckers their speed their stops tracks their gear changes and their 
engine revolutions per minute. Used to be a person wanted to be a trucker because they wanted to sort of be alone, out on the road, carrying goods here and there, part of the grand economy. And now they're sitting there being watched every second of the way. In grocery stores, if the cashier is scanning items a little too slowly, that can be noted as well and cost them a job. In all of these cases, these systems uh, share results in real time with the employee. And so that would add a level of stress, I would think, to doing a job. Wow. So we are, you know, it always, this, this thing was headlined, workers, your robot overlords are, are here. Um, reminds me, of course, of that, my favorite utterance of my then very young child. Um, I really, I don't remember how old he was, but he was young, maybe about seven, eight. And he turned to me and he said, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell this story again because it's just so, it was so prescient. At the time I laughed, but I remembered it. Mom, he said, you're lucky. At least you won't have to live under robot overlords. <laughs> and he was right. I was looking at this cutest little kid yesterday. Couldn't have been more than two. And, you know, running, trying to keep up with his uh, mom. I'm looking at that little kid, and I have to admit, I thought, oh, you poor child. <laughs> You're going to have to live under robot overlords. Uh, Brie, that's what I thought. Brie has written that uh, at Amazon, these employees are wearing a wristband. Yeah, that's, can you imagine? Like, well, why not? Let's just put shackles on them, okay? It's a different kind of shackle. It's a different kind of way of controlling an employee. Um, and the dehumanization of that employee's experience from getting the job from a robot to working under a robot to perhaps being terminated by a robot, this is what American flesh and blood workers are increasingly having to deal with. Oh my God, you're right, Bree. I did read that. Some companies in Sweden 
are implanting chips under the skin of some work. My understanding with that, though, is that's on a volunteer basis. I mean, and it's so, you can have a chip. Yeah, we'll put it in right about here. And that means that you can get into doors <coughs> that are locked just by going like this. It's, you know, what they do is they make it, hey, if you get this chip, you know, you'll have more access. You won't have to fumble around for cards or keys or codes or this and that. So they they make it like this is a wonderful convenience for you. But that chip will track when an employee arrives, when they, you will not have to punch a time clock. No, just let us stick this little thing. I mean, you did it to your dog, didn't you? What's the problem? Right? Oh, my God. So, that's it. We're all here. And we're all on camera. Scary. Well, I'm, s I'm thinking, what do I have here? I've got, oh, I, that's too depressing. I don't want to end on that. I don't want to end on that. I do not want to end on that. No. Um, oh, is it other good news? Remember I told you that this uh, middleman uh, uh, drug distributor got uh, convicted um, in New York the other day. This is a guy who was a high flyer one percenter, and he was convicted of essentially being a drug dealer because he was shipping opioids to pharmacies so far and beyond what any normal shipment should be, knowing full well they were just feeding a whole, um, you know, epidemic, essentially. And here, on the heels of that, which happened last week, I believe, here's another headline today. A federal jury on Thursday found the top executives of Insys Therapeutics, that's a company that sold a fentanyl painkiller, they found these top executives, one of whom is a billionaire, he was found guilty of racketeering charges in a rare criminal prosecution that blamed the corporate <coughs> officials. Not the low-level little guy on the street. No. They went right to the executive suites and they blamed corporate officials for contributing to the nation's opioid epidemic. So here comes some other big fish going to go to jail. The jury deliberated for 15 days and issued guilty verdicts against the company's founder, the billionaire, and four former executives. They found that they had conspired to up the sales of this potent and deadly drug. And they did it by bribing doctors 
bribing them to prescribe their product. They did it also by misleading insurers about patients' need for their drug. We got a new image of, uh, of a drug dealer now. They're billionaires. They got private jets. They sit in corporate office suites. And finally, they're being taken down. Would that this spread out to other areas of the economy, really, and hold these people at the top who are stealing and lying and bribing to continue to feather their already overly feathered nests. It'll be great to see them taken down. And maybe we've just seen the start. I don't know. Okay, guys, that's it for me. I'll see you in, uh, I'll see you a week from Monday. Um, I'll be back, okay? Have a great week and um, enjoy the spring. Toodaloo. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host, and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.